The Say Something Podcast is brought to you by a momentwithmorris.com and blackblueprints.com. That's blackblueprints with a Z.com. I am Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axis. Hello, folks. <laughs> here with the newest episode of the Say Something Podcast. Say something, say something, say something. Where we get together and talk about what's going on out here in the traffic, out here in the life, out here in these streets. In these streets, these deadly, deadly streets. Shouts out to all the graduates, man. It's graduation. Congratulations. We May, are, June, the whole bit is going down. We are bringing you episode 21 to your dome, Pete. This is 21? This is 21. Okay. We close. We close to that good 34. DM, we got that prime time coming. Yes, sir. And so we think about things that we talk about and stuff that we feel like not only we as in me, myself, and Barry, but we as in everybody should be saying something about. And so we talk about what's going on here in the traffic. And, you know, sometimes we got pleasantries and all that, but there's so much going on out here. I think we should just jump into it. It's a whole traffic jam out here, brother. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's like it's wall-to-wall traffic. It's every time you turn around... There's someone saying something ridiculous. There's someone doing something ridiculous. And there's something or someone making you say you can't be serious because it's like, and I think I'm going to do that. I think we're going to have a little segment say you can't be serious because some of this stuff, you like literally you cannot be serious. But some of these people are very serious about some of this uh, buffoonery that's going on out here. Uh, somebody in particular who's being mighty serious, he just got his own uh, special. Hi, your guy. <laughs> And I will say this, because I was a fan as a kid. And so who we talking about is uh, NBA, one of NBA's 50 greatest players. Yeah, Charles Barkley. And NBA Hall of Famer. Yes, sir. Uh, current, uh, works the desk over at TNT with Shaq and Kenny and all them. The bold, the outspoken, unapologetic Charles Barkley. Who just finagled his way into his own special. Charles Barkley talking about uh, race in America. American race. Yeah, where he traveled across the country. Didn't come to Sacramento, though. No. Nah, making his rounds. Uh, he said, some of the stuff that I've seen, So he, some of the highlights, I guess, that they've touched on. I guess he spoke with uh, some illegal immigrants, uh, spoke with a Muslim family in America. Uh, but a lot of the stuff that he's catching heat on right about now is from a town hall that he had in uh, Baltimore. You saw it, so you actually watched it? I watched with the clips they have. I don't know if they've released the full thing yet, but Are I've you seen. not? I think they have the full thing. I think the full thing came up. I mean, at least I saw it, some of it before the um, the Warriors game. Yeah, I've seen clips. I have, I personally haven't seen that. But I've probably seen a good five minutes. And, and dialogue, that's a long time. So, I mean, I got a good idea of, of at least the Baltimore one where uh, he was showing his ass. <laughs> I mean, before you, like, break it down, as I know you will, one thing I have to say about Charles Barkley, and it's for sure not in his defense, but it's the fact that Charles Barkley has offended so many black people. It's not because that he has his opinion and he has a right for that. Yeah. But I feel it's the moment he discusses these things. The one thing about how he got, I believe, the special is because in a lot of his interviews, he's always st- talked about. We need to have a communication about race. We need to have a conversation yeah, about he, race. Yeah, he constantly promotes we need to and, have dialogue. And, and I think that was a segue for him to get this. But the fact why he's such the wrong person to be in the forefront of this dialogue, because what white media always seems to do, they always seem to find the brother that's in between. And when I say in between, yes, he's black. 
Yes, he believes there is a symptom and there's issues, but he also believes that the victims are just a part of the cure than those who are, you know, creating those being victimized. Like, for instance, one of his things when I was doing some research and I was looking through some of the interviews, because some of the stuff that he said during the Trayvon Martin um yeah. Uh, trial through the uh, Mike Brown uh, Eric trial, Gardner. Eric Gardner incident. It was so baffling to me. He really put the focus more or less on the fact that the police are doing a job. The fact that now there is racial profiling, but I don't believe police were killing blacks. And then if you look at the data, the data will tell you something different. He made a lot of inferences uh, about why we as blacks need to get our stuff together compared to why is it more or less a problem that white folks have with us. And I think sometimes when you have people in the media that can operate from that kind of lens, because one, he's getting a big paycheck from, you know, the plantation. He's getting a fat paycheck. And two, he's really not in a, the, the tax bracket of most of us blacks. So it's easy for him to engage in this conversation because the backlash he's going to get are from individuals like ourselves. Okay. He's not going to get, hold on, he's not going to get backlash from those that he, he works with because they all sit in the same tax bracket. They may disagree, but he's become such a character in a sense. They'll just say, that's Charles being Charles. So in my sense of him being the forefront of talking about race is a total fiasco because he has no clue or no idea about the true race matters in America right now. Okay, so I think one of the things, because I didn't talk about setting it up, that but what I would look at is, and the question that I pose is, because Charles is, is somebody who's always said, um, put 20 on 10. He give you $20, $20 worth of words, but only $10 worth of information. Like he he talk heavy on something that he's not he, he goes in the depths that he's not prepared to swim in, but something that I I look at him and, and the thing, same thing I would say something to the issue that we had with Bill Cosby as a collective, because if people remember Bill was about twenty years back when he had the book and he was on the speaking tours and he addressed very pretty much the same issue and he said that black people want to talk about police brutality because little Jimmy got shot for stealing some pound cake and we want to look at the the police protocol but why not start with what was Jimmy doing stealing pound cake you know and that's kind of Charles's take on this so my thing is, is before we even get into the roasting of his pedigree and his ability to be that guy how much of what he's saying actually has validity cuz he cuz when you when you're talking about you know, uh, black people need to police ourselves. Uh, there's crime that goes on within the community. There's issues that we need to address. Those things in themselves are not entirely incorrect. So is it the simple fact that he, he takes something that's got a little bit of validity and then does the, 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 the tango and the two step and dances, you know, for a specific audience for a greater check? I mean, is there anything that we can take out of what he's saying? I hate. I thoroughly hate when we always focus on um, the reaction, right? Okay. Not what created um, the reaction. We always we when we talk about like when we talked about the Ferguson um, rioting or looting or I call it a rebellion. You only talk about what the so-called rioters did. 
but we never looked at what created the reaction. So never have I heard have I heard Barkley discuss the symptoms of racism. Never has he gone back to historical precincts to why it got here that created what we now deal with today. If you can't go back to the root of it, I find it hard for me to believe and trust that you're all knowledgeable on really the reality that we live in. You okay. never talk about that. And that's the hardest part I feel that white people don't want to discuss and a lot of black people, especially black elite, because they look at themselves as, well, I made it. I got here. So there is truth in the American dream. Yeah. I get that. But they also have to realize that if you weren't some type of hand that could be able to make master more money than a little bit, you would be just another secondary Negro, just like a lot of us. And that's when I take issue. Partake in a conversation, but when we partake in a conversation, when we look at what has created the ghetto, let's also take into consideration the elements that created the ghetto. Not that black people woke up and decided, well, today I just want to be in this shithole environment and create this this atmosphere for my my daughters, my sons, uh, my uncle. It's not a thing that was created. It was a thing that passed on and was deliberately put together by a system that has been here to oppress us. Okay, so getting that is, is that so the the idea of the dialogue that he wants to have that he's saying he wants to have i don't know the man don't know him personally couldn't tell you what his thought process is he just wants what, to talk about race well no just just so so if, if the thought process is to get a dialogue going on about some of the the uh the the racial tensions slash problems that situations that are going on that if, if that's the case, so the issue is not necessarily that he wants to have the dialogue and he wants to point out the issues where where we are at fault in the equation. It's because he's not putting enough attention on where they're at fault in the equation. Nah, he's not. I mean, you have to look at the situation for what it is. If you're going to talk about a crazy um, issue, I call it crazy because I feel it. Racism when you look at it, it's the dumbest thing in the world. It's, and, but I understand why it was created. It's created because one race wants to remain dominant, right? I mean, it's it's created and it's all falling into sexism, classism. So you have all these isms that fall into it now. But when we go back into historical times, we go into history, when a one race looked at another race and they looked at the dominance of another race, they saw the genius of another race. They had the envy and the jealousy. And cohorts they were to figure out, well, how can we utilize these people into fulfilling our dreams, fulfilling our ideas? But we don't know how to do it. So they figured out a way. They got us here. They utilized every strategy. Um, they separated us. And they then just started to... Uh, uh, vigorously destroy us right where those effects have continued to remain to be the same and you can look at it when every time a black person moves forward you look at Tulsa Oklahoma Tulsa Oklahoma is still a beautiful place but Tulsa Oklahoma is rich in where it is right now because of black folk you don't hear people talk about the bombings you don't no, no one talks about we don't have a history of uh, 
uh, reports in these high schools that breaks down the Tulsa, Oklahoma bombings, Black Wall Street. If even they talk about it now, it's either in college or if they're doing it in high school, they're just kind of, okay, Tulsa, Oklahoma, a Black Wall Street got bombed up, and they move like that. Exactly how they do. So you can't talk about race, racism, without going into how it was STEM, who created it, how we've all had to now be put in a box because of it. But it's not a situation and it's almost ignorant when you say that black people are racist. How can black people be racist when we have no power? Okay, so if you got a guy who's just not that overly informed and he's somebody who's going out saying, I want to travel the country and I want to hear the plights of the people and I want to present maybe possibly just another way of seeing the way that you see it. So I'm going to go out here to this area where, where this is a hotbed issue of this police brutality in this particular city is huge. So I'm going to go to that city where police brutality is huge and I'm going to present just a possible different scenario. So if, if that's his goal, and, and maybe I'm giving him more credit than, than he deserves. Yeah, I think you're giving him but a lot I, of but I'm saying, so, <laughs> I'm beginning to think that you are one of Charles Barkley's uh, fans. Well, no, fans. but I mean, but the, just because I think the important part of saying something is, is kind of like what you're saying is in its entirety. If, if Charles is just going around saying, you know, where we're at fault and not addressing, you know, the systemic issues that got us to the situation that he's talking about, to the same accord, if in just roasting him, there's there's not a lot of growth that comes from that conversation. So what I'm looking at is, is if say it wasn't him, if an individual was just going to go, I'm going to go nationwide and I'm going to go to all these places where they have these particular issues. Whether it be against Muslims in this town, it be police brutality in this situation, it be uh, gender or LBGT problems in that one. And I'm going there to present a, a, whatever that is, is, is almost like the devil's advocate to whatever the scenario is. Would that be a better way to do the same, to get the same kind of dialogue, but maybe with somebody who was a little more informed and educated about where they were going? I would love to see a dialogue be held like this. By a person that represented more pro-blackness than anything. When you have a, a millionaire, an arrogant, an ignorant, um, uneducated in so many different ways about race, understanding that he's from the South, but pretty much um, not really following the pretense of him and his abilities that got him to where he's at. And almost his ignorant in a way being his cash cow because you're looking at a man that has a checkered past. I mean, he's hasn't been perfect. I mean, we haven't all, you know, we all have something to, to, to kind of talk about from our past, but I mean, he's broken the law several times and to have such a strong stance on these simple cases, like when you listen to him and go back doing some background and when he talks about Trayvon Martin in that case, where he looks at it, well, they got it right. The aggressor probably turned to be Trayvon Martin. Let's say that the aggressor was Trayvon Martin yeah. after the fact. But clearly, there was racial profiling. Clearly, the uh, uh, the person that he was on the phone, uh, George Zimmerman, yeah. when he was calling 911, the dispatcher said, hey, back away. Don't follow him. Don't yeah. follow him. Yeah. Clearly, he... Uh, was the aggressor first. Now this kid sees somebody coming at him. He don't know who the hell it is. He's going to defend himself. So regardless of whatever law they have, 
if you don't create the issue, there's not going to be an issue. And for the fact that he says and looks at it from a black man's lens and say they got it right, then turn around and say with the Michael Brown case, he got it right. But then here's the whammy with the Eric Gardner case saying, well, um, I don't believe it was murder. I think that hes they're trying to arrest this big guy and the big guy was resisting arrest. The guy wasn't resisting arrest. The guy said, I can't breathe. So, I mean, when you see and you put all these facts, what he says on certain levels, yeah, I get it. We all get it. But what you don't understand, what led to the problem, we all know that black people got a lot of shit to clean. We all know. But again, I am not going to leave those who help make the mess off the hook. Okay. And I believe that's what he always does. And that's always what he will do because he is getting paid to do exactly what Master tells him to do because he's getting a big fat check. And it's not about him being unapologetic, even though I said I said it in a sarcastic way earlier. It's not about him being bold. This is about him being a rich Negro, okay, well, a house Negro, in a good position to basically say whatever the one is he wants to say. Because as long as see, this is one thing. As long as any black actor, black or uh, a uh, rap musician black uh, uh, ball player, as long as they disrespect black America enough, they will always have a job. When they start shaking and rattling the, uh, uh, the the tree of white America, that's when they start getting exposed and that's when they were out of jobs. Okay, well, something to keep in consideration, not only for his job, Charles Barkley also ran for governor of Alabama. And so in that process, why that's important is because part of when you run for any major political um, in any arena where you want to be mayor, you want to be governor, ultimately, if you want to be president, uh, there are different groups that you have to kind of get a cosign from or and get an endorsement from. Law enforcement is one of the ones that he sided with in his campaign. So he may still have political aspirations further down the road. Or something else that he may want to do. But then again, there might just be the reality. This just might be the way he thinks. Because a lot of times when we hear people who start talking about having these agendas that go against what we would think is common sense. Or how can you even see it that way? Or you must be a puppet or you must be getting used. Some folks, that's just actually their line of thinking. So from the time he left, uh, he was from Alabama, went to Auburn. Uh, all that stuff that he was going through, he was getting money early. He was getting money in college. He even admitted to taking cash in college. Got his deal with, with, with the 76ers. As he should have took money. Took, got, got money from the Sixers. And things started getting kind of worked out for him. He Now, granted, checker pass, he had an issue in Philly where he spit on a little girl. That ultimately is why how he ended up in Phoenix. Threw somebody out the window. Threw somebody in a bar fight. Threw a guy through a plate glass window in a bar because of argument. Uh, excessive gambling issues in Vegas with some unsavory individuals. And strippers. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's had some stuff going on. So, what I would say is if, if we've got a guy, and, and not even just Charles. Like I said, so when we go on a smaller scale in the community and we have people who want to address what's going on, what do we then do with the individuals? Is it something that we can actually have a dialogue about? Or do we give them... do? Do we even do we have a, 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 a platform? Do we say something like what do we do with these people? I, I, I personally can't take him seriously. Like I personally, even though there might be some good content of the video or this documentary that they created, I just can't take him seriously because his views are so one sided. Okay. Like t to me, when you start saying that I don't want to, I'm not going to believe that um, police are killing black people. Well, then tell me why there hasn't been 
like the the numbers are so ridiculous of how many black unarmed males and females have been killed by police within I will just say from 2013 just to now it's it's just that's not supposed to be happening and then when you are taking yourself outside of what the extreme reality is for black America and pretending as if well if we just pick up our boots tied up and just go out there as if we're not going to meet these challenges whether we do the right thing or not like how are you talking about race is one of the biggest issues in America but yet you're not trying to you know insinuate reasons why is because of what white folks do to keep black people oppressed and it's the rich white people that are paying you. I mean, let's let's let's. If you're going to be clear about the conversation, be clear. That's when I look at you sideways. I would have rather had some other um, stale Negro go out there and conversate about this, you know. And I I, I don't know. No, there's so many different Negroes. I mean, Doctor Boyce Watkins, and that's not a stale Negro. That's the brother right there. Why not get a brother like that? Why, why, like, if you really want to have American race, let's get a brother with deep emphasis on the economic structure of why we are oppressed. Okay. Um, a historical background and ingenuity. Someone who's gone to school and seen the academic op oppression of black people, like truly seen it from his own eye with dealing with some of the Kentucky players. Why not get a brother that is more in tune to what's actually going on compared to a brother that sees it his way, he has a big opinion about it, and it's granted some of the things he says, okay, I can accept, consider it to be right, but you don't really have a good framework to be able to conduct this conversation because you don't really understand it. Okay, but I'm saying, I think that, so there, there, the argument could be made that he would be more ideal than, say, a Dr. Boyce Watkins. Why? Because if you look at America as a whole, uh, a land of C-minus students, so he may represent a greater population of that type of thinking. Who does he, who does he um, represent? Americans. Not necessarily specifically black Americans, but okay. I'm talking about. So if so, okay, go no, go ahead, go. So if, if if the argument is is that this is the, this is a representation of America, okay. the average American, this is kind of their viewpoint. Limited education, limited information, doesn't really know the big picture of historically how things work together, mm -hmm. which I would say is probably most average Americans. Mm -hmm. The way that they take in what they see, this is what they spit out. But here's what I say. The majority of black Americans that we have on these platforms who can speak truth to power don't always speak truth to power. They always are very light. They always look at race and racism moderately as if it's a a touch and go thing as is. Well, this is what you're doing wrong and this is what they're doing wrong. No, motherfucker. This is what they did wrong. And we are just uh, now reacting to what we have been given. This is now how we have reacted in the moment. This is how we reacted in the oppression. It's not the fact that no black people didn't create race. black people did not create this oppression. Black people didn't uh, start looking at white folks and start calling them honkies. Like black folks wasn't raping white women and 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 raping white girls. Black folks wasn't doing that. This it, it, it makes no sense to me when we have someone that is just going to be uh, cookie cutting. Through the process, he'll allow people to spill and say what they feel. But in the same sense, 
his mind frame is still the American dream because I made it. Yeah. Because I live good. Because I worked hard and I played basketball. Understanding that part is one thing, but realizing, Negro, if you weren't as ignorant and you made people laugh and people like that, so they're going to keep you on TNT because you're going to say something stupid, what's going to make people laugh, and just people going to be like, this dude is a clown. Or the simple fact that if you did not know how to play basketball as well as you did, you wouldn't even have this type of platform. I get tired of white Americans trying to say, well, here's the Negro that's going to represent you guys and speak for you. He don't speak for me. He don't speak for my people. He just does exactly what they want him to do. Say, okay, well, we're talking about it a little bit, but not get into the deep therapy part. The deep therapy it. part is creating the platform to talk about white supremacy and all of the functions that have created white supremacy that's kept the black man and woman oppressed. Okay, so I, I'm not disagreeing with you. So I think maybe what I'm what I'm looking at is if he's sitting there doing this as a representation of of, of a person, because he may not stand up there and say, I'm saying this, my view of race as a black man in America. It sounds more like he's saying this as my viewpoint as an American. Like he when he I think when he addresses black Americans, he removes himself from that group. He sees black Americans as them, not us. So it, it, to, to me, the way I get from him would be it wouldn't be any different if it was a white guy doing the mediating because it's not necessarily the representation of black people. I think he might just be talking from this is how I see it. And a lot of the stuff that he says, which is ignorant of uh, no black people respect education, that we all uh, he was spitting out. Tired rhetoric and stereotypes from 20, 25 years ago. L listen to what he said. Like some of the things he said. Ferguson looters are scumbags. First of all, okay, what media loves to show is the looting part. Mm. I understand that. But at the same time, why are they scumbags? So why shouldn't the police officers that kill unarmed black people be scumbags as well? Shouldn't that whole racist precinct that when we start doing research, when we start um, dissecting what's going on, filled with racism, I mean, shouldn't they be the scumbags? Like, stop trying to patrol black people, and I hate it, they use these, these house Negroes to be in front and say, what, this is what's wrong with black folk. What have you done, Mr. Barkley, to help generate the change? I'm talking about the real generate, like, like the real generational change, not yeah. this go out and, you know, donate to a school, help build a park. I'm talking about true, sufficient, economic, systematic change for black people. So these so-called scumbags don't be scumbags no more. OK, so maybe his thing is this is it. So 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 let's let's set him aside. So so what I propose is and, and maybe we can get to. How necessary is it to have the conversation minus what the other folks are doing? Like not a conversation that needs to be a, a national documentary or on TNT or primetime. Like the real conversations of what we can do. Like not addressing, I mean, not, not, not disregarding, but not the focus being on what they've done or what they're doing. But what can we do? I mean, I think that a lot of people that don't get in the press, I mean, I have. Myself here, as you know, in Sacramento, I've, I've done a lot of 
workshops, forums, um, different sessions. I'm very active about speaking upon um, black empowerment on my social media, but not only just doing it on social media, but again, creating these forums so we can discuss it. I mean, we definitely need to discuss what black folks need to do because I do um, understand that there is a big problem in the black community, but I realize the reasons. And because I realize the reasons, I will come up with some solutions. And now it all depends on our people if they want to move into the solutions, you know, and those solutions are really taking accountability for the things that we need to do to change how we are looked upon. And I don't really think they could we could really ever change that. But I, I guess moving forward, not caring about what others think, but just doing things as we need to do it fearlessly. And when I say fearlessly, I mean we need to create our own infrastructures just like we had in the past without the fear of, well, what if they if they do, then they do. Well, we need to be prepared for that because at this particular time, if we do build it and they do come to destroy it, we're now living in modern era. When people start talking and looking at all the stuff that's going on now, they're like, I can't believe this is happening. This is supposed to happen in the 50s. This happened in the 60s. No, this is happening in a modern era. So right now, if black people are all around the world, got together, united strongly, didn't worry about the backlash of what those people who would be jealous like they were before, envious like they were before would do. If we just work, put our, our beefs and differences aside and really create community, then there's really too much no one can say except, damn, them motherfuckers finally got their shit together. Okay, so 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 going right into that, because I think this segues perfectly, because we have that case happening right now. Oh, yeah. So we have the, the, the we'll call it just the, the, the story that is the Ball family. Oh, shit, I'd call it the 495 story. You know what I'm saying? Well, this is a man, LeVar Ball. He's the father of Lonzo Ball and two other balls that I, not disrespectfully, don't know their names. I know one of them is Mellow. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't. So I'm not, not disrespectfully. I just, I'm not familiar. Uh, but in any event, LeVar Ball is the father. And so he put this whole campaign really betting on his sons. And so this is somebody who doing exactly what you just alluded to. This is somebody who went to the major um, sports apparel distributors. You know, he went to Nike, went to Under Armour, went to Adidas and said, I don't want my son to have a shoe deal. Like, I don't want him to have an endorsement deal. I want a partnership of ownership and really just using you all for your factories distribution and cut you in for what we've created and designed. And he was roasted throughout all kind of media, news, sports outlets saying he's ruining his son's chances for money. He's ruining his chances, his son's chance for endorsements because those three big ones more or less told him to kick rocks. They were like, nah, man, we, we're not doing that partnership. Your son is unproven. We don't even like you yeah, like they, that. They, no, because they, he, the number amount he asked for, that's, they were saying well, it's ridiculous. Well, just so, so, so starting with this is an individual who's practicing that. And so designs their own shoe. Goes for four ninety five for the base one, all the way up to nine ninety five for a particular autograph, autograph model. And everybody keeps telling him you're crazy. You know, Jordan don't even charge five hundred for shoes. Your kid is unproven. Uh, didn't even make the the uh, national championships in, in, in NCAA. Like, how does he deserve all this? And something that was interesting is is that uh, the father was on uh, Undisputed yep. with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. And he was talking about, you know, everybody keeps getting hung up on this price. You know, he said, this is memorabilia. He said, this has never been done. 
where where a player is coming in, creating his own, designing his own, wanting his own. But we as a community have been one of leading the forefront on roasting this man. We're the first ones that have been out there jumping out saying, oh, man, you're messing up his money. You're messing up your kid's money. You know, he could have got two million if he had just signed with Nike on an endorsement deal right now instead of buying into the idea of now that brother's out there trying to, you know, he was like, this is a shoe. Come, he wears the shoe. You know, Lazo wears the shoe. It's his family shoe. This is a company that we want to pass down. This is something we want to own. But I don't know what the question is, I guess, to say something about. Are we ready for that? Because when we have a representation of somebody doing that, we're not jumping behind and seeing it. It took a lot of it was really the, our counterparts. It was a lot of the white people who recognized what he was doing. In two months time, he turned lot. LeVar Ball became a national and international story when two months ago, nobody knew who he was. Not at all. And he's got a PR machine going that you couldn't even pay money for to get this much press. Not at all. But we don't seem to see the genius in it or the ingenuity or the creativity. We just keep, we got nothing but insults and roasting him and telling him he's stupid and he's messing up. So we're talking about is our own infrastructure, creating our own, mm -hmm. i.e. a Tulsa, a Black Wall Street. Is that something we're even ready for? We're not ready for that. We, we, we are ready for the Charles Barkley-ass Negroes all day, the silly Negroes, as I like to call them. We're ready for that. I'm ready for that. I applaud the brother. I encourage the brother to keep on going. There are certain things that I know I, I really can't, a little bit too boastful in certain things. I mean, but I get it. I understand it. I know the plot. I know the plan. Um, they talk about fatherhood in the black uh, community, how it's... Uh, more or less non-existence. We got a father that's standing up for his sons on so many major ways. and He's getting eggs thrown at him. We talk about ownership in the black community. We have a black man that's standing up saying, the hell we're making all these rich companies richer. Gets thrown tomatoes. <laughs> um, you have a black man boldly going to places that no other athlete has gone before. Outright. And people don't really want to respect in the manner how he's going about it, being his best salesman and being his best spokespersons without having someone do the PR for him. Yeah. Once again, it reminds me of the LeBron James story. And it also re it reminds me because we have also been so caught up on the image of Michael Jordan, right? But remember, Michael Jordan was one of the least paid um, basketball players for so long. I mean, for many years, Michael Jordan was one of the lowest played basketball yeah, players. Yeah, they, they weren't cutting checks like that when he came in the league. But even when the, the, the checks increased, yeah. Michael Jordan wasn't up there in the scale. Now his endorsements, he was killing the game. And of course, on the back end of his career, yeah, they, they ponied on, up. On, they they on ponied the up. On the but in the moments when you had all these guys getting these bigger salaries that wasn't doing what Michael Jordan did, Michael Jordan wasn't above the scale and also Michael Jordan created the Nike brand but Nike brand we could also sell say help create Jordan and the same inference where you look at the Jordan brand you're always thinking like some people really believe Michael owns it but no it's still not Nike property yeah and we get so caught up on the way Michael Jordan did things that's why we get so frustrated and we don't really like how LeBron James does things. As I go into that LeBron James story, the year he opted out of Cleveland. Unprecedentedly, he opted out not giving the owner, 
his his um ceremonials uh, ceremonious goodbye, not giving the general manager, basically having a press conference that he got vilified about, giving the donations of two million to the Boys and Girls Club, and saying because he didn't know where he was going to go and make an announcement. He got so much bad press, jerseys burned, and all for the fact that a black man, for the first time as a free agent, took it upon himself to do what was best for his family and do it in a way to where now everything that is done by a sports athlete, whether it's a retirement, whether it's they're going to another team, what do they do? They hold these big press conferences. They make it a big media show, right? Yeah. And then in the same sense, going in, who was the, um, I will say, the vanguard and the original originator of the high school basketball uh, games being shown on TV was LeBron James. Before then, you had um, the McDonald's All-American, and you see them. But now, when LeBron James came into the league, what do they do? They televise his game. So when I look at the ball situation, and I look at how LeBron James took so much heat for going to the Miami Heat, no pun intended, and did what he needed to do for his own brand, for his own legacy for himself, I look at what Ball's doing as absolute genius because what a black man does not have is what? Ownership. What a black man does not understand the value of his brand. He's saying, before I let any of y'all get a check, I got to get the checks. Yeah. I'm not. I'm willing to go ahead and cut some pie, but I'm willing to cut the pie divided by how I'm going to divide it. And I think that it's just brilliant. Any Negro that's sitting there looking at this guy as ignorant, I'll ask you this. Why the fuck are you buying Gucci and Louis Vuitton for $500? Well, I think that, and I, I agree in the sense that that LeVar Ball is uh, way smarter than people give him credit for. And, and why I say that is, is because for the last two months, every time he would come out and, you know, he was all smiles and wear the big T-shirt and, and, and just kind of laughing and joking and talking like almost like barbershop talk when he was going to these nationally, nationally syndicated, whether it be Sports Nation, whether it be Sports, uh, whether it be First Take, whether it be Undisputed, whatever. Uh, but in that time period, I think he's always been a couple of steps ahead. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And so everyone keeps, you know, man, I can't believe we're still talking about it. We're not even talking about Lonzo Ball. Mm -mm. No one's even addressing, you know... The odds are a lot of people saying they probably end up a Laker, mm -hmm. and 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 no one's even. We're not even on the discussion. Lavar Ball is the trending topic. Lavar Ball with the shoe, with the, mm -hmm. with the ZO2s, whatever. Uh, Lavar Ball hitting the sports desks and all this stuff. And this is somebody who has decided that he's going to jump in the driver's seat, and he's going to take control of the company. Let his son speak for, let his game speak for it on the court. But he's the one who's going to handle the business. And, and like I said, there's something just to say something too is. We just seem to just be so against that mentality. Because niggas don't understand about ownership. I mean, we've been owned for so long. Like, how a black man takes power, it's like, nah, that's not supposed to. Because, again, I've said it so many times, we wait for white approval. Okay, so sticking with that, how often it would only seem natural that you end up with a Charles Barkley? Because based upon the idea of we're not ready for ownership... We keep looking for somebody else to do for. We keep looking for somebody else's approval. We keep looking for somebody else to step in because we don't want to be in the driver's seat with the keys. You, by default, get Charles Barkley. 
So, so, so if most of us aren't ready to be spearheading like like LeVar Ball, is Charles Barkley speaking to more of us than we like to think? Well, I mean, I think he's definitely speaking to a deaf, dumb, and blind black America. But it's almost the same thing with Oprah Winfrey. Everybody looked at her. She like she was crazy. Like, are you leaving ABC? You know, look at what all they're doing. Look at the, the what ABC is now owned by Disney. They're like, come on, you leaving this? And she wanted to start her own her own brand, her own company. And I feel like what people have to understand, you are your greatest brand. I say you. Here it is you. You, that person that you look at in the mirror every day, you are your greatest brand. And until you figure that out and find out how I'm going to brand myself, you're always going to end up working for somebody. You're always going to be uh, taking orders from somebody. And right, and, and, and rightfully so, some people at the end of the day, I mean, not everyone is built to be their own boss. But what this family is doing, <laughs> even if they fail, they still win because in history, they will always be the first. Because yeah. now, one, it's perfect timing. His son, in a watered-down league that it is, and a league filled with we need point guards and shooters, he's 6'7". He's a Jason Kidd kind of prototype. And Jason Kidd was 6'4". Like, depending on the team that he gets, like, literally, the kid can still probably average, barring any injuries, at least seven assists per game. At least score about 15 per game. So it's a win-win. And then when people start, because everybody is attracted to success, right? So when he starts winning, that 495 ends up being something that you're going to go run and cop and something that you're going to want because it now has value. It's just like Kanye West. Kanye West, we all thought he was crazy when he came out with that crazy clothes with those crazy-looking shoes. $1,500 Yeezuses and all that people buy them shits like it's running out of style, right? So how crazy is crazy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, so My whole thing in life is you have to... Do one thing. If you don't do anything in life, you got to go bet on yourself. Okay, so what I'm saying is is that it's kind of seeing, looking like the bulk of us are not on the ball side of the game. Like the bulk of us ain't ready to, to, to take that next level, that ownership, that individuality. So you, really, so you really believe there's been more backlash from the black community than anything what on, 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 against what ball is trying to do right now? More, more backlash than support? From, yeah. Yes. I think that we, we have... I've heard nothing because a lot of us play the short game, not the long game. Because what you're talking about, what you just broke down, is the long game. Yeah, it's, it's but but nice. but most of us see, oh, he could have got two million now, five million now if he'd have just signed with Nike. If his papa just shut up and let him get a little Nike deal, he could have got five. And then if he proves himself on the court, that can go up when he re-ups in a couple of years for his new contract. The great the greatest thing about America, I will say, is. The Ball family could do exactly what they are doing right now. That yeah. that's the greatest thing because yes, he could have signed that guaranteed money, but then that guaranteed money would be a trap, and he would be placed in. Well, Nike said in your contract you can't do this. Well, uh, Under Armour, <laughs> your contract said yeah. you can't do this. Compared to we're creating our own brand, and yeah, it's just like the black label clothing lines that came out at first. People were hesitant to put it in their stores. I remember FUBU, even though Fat Farm came before, FUBU had got that hat on LL Cool J 
And next thing you know, the mainstream adopted, took in hip-hop music, hip-hop culture. Bigger than the music, it took on hip-hop culture. The one thing I hated about what we did in that moment, too many of us sold out to the masses instead of staying original. Uh, and, and shots out because brothers like Carl Kanai led that wave with, with, with Russell Simmons and the FUBU brothers. Like we didn't stay in our niche of continuing to control. And that's always been our issue. We don't know how to control the elements of what we create. Which is what my, my point is. What I'm saying is what is the greater issue? So is it the fact that too many of us are really more Barkley thinkers? to where, not, because, because here's what I'm saying. Not enough of us are ball thinkers. Negroes are scared, bro. Okay, but, but that's my point. Fear. But that's my point. Fear of failure. So when, and, we, and, when you, listen, when you get promoted Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, Reebok, Puma, all these different brands, and none of these people cre who created this are black, <laughs> but those who promote it are black, when you don't see it, it's just like we, this is why we do the stuff that we do with our youth. Because our youth don't see real models. So we go and we take our time out on Saturdays and Sundays to present real models for our youth. Because they're not used to seeing that. So if someone's not used to seeing something like that, how do they obtain it or gain that um, belief in themselves for them to be that person to put their their um, ability on the line and say, yo, I'm going to go for it. I get that. But I'm saying what my, my point is, I completely agree with you in that point. What I'm, I guess maybe more so my question and how you feel about it is, like I said, does Charles Barkley actually represent more black people than what we like to think? Because as much as he, he'll say something and he'll catch that backlash, he, he did a town hall in Baltimore where he got roasted because he was in a room full of people whose babies, whose husbands, whose wives, whose sisters had all been victimized by some form of police brutality. So if you take that controlled room, you're going to get nothing but roasted if you say anything to the contrary. But if you went across the board, like not people who were so close to it, does he represent a higher percentage than we like to think? I think he represents a lot of elite Negroes. I don't think he represents a high um, you know, number of black people. I think some black people can agree with certain things. Yeah, black people, you know, we need to have accountability. Yeah, that's those are all things that that's, that's easy to point out. But in the same sense... When black folks don't take into consideration all the things that led up, you know what I'm saying? You don't you only focus in on the reaction, but you're not even focusing on all everything that led up to the reaction. I think that that's where there's a difference. OK. You know? so and so with the ball situation, going back to that, I believe that it's perfect timing. I believe in the height of America, where it is understanding the climate why not roll the dice? What do you have to lose? Because here's the funny thing about it all. Let's say the um, the brand brands out. It yeah. doesn't really launch to where it is at, right? Yeah. Okay. People are yelling and crying about 495. I don't think 495 is inexpensive because Negroes is buying Gucci, Louis Vuitton, and everything else all day. Negroes is buying Kim Kardashian and shit that's over the price and, yeah. and whatever. They don't have no talent. They're just girls that are... You know, that look yeah. good, right? He still is going to get a, a a contract with one of these big shoe companies. I mean, you know, like seriously, if he does well, 
everybody's gonna want it. They'll come back. Yeah. I mean that's it. So that's the whole like when you when you when you're an aggressive thinker, you gotta think out the box, man. And the pressure isn't even on his son. And it, it, even though some people may want to say, because depending on the team he goes to, right, he is going to make that team a fraction of amount better because it's not like he's going to go on to a Warriors. It's not like he's going to go on to a Cleveland Cavaliers. It's not like he's going to go on to yeah, a Wizards where he's out of place. Like he'll be a Laker. And if you're a Laker, you're a star. Yeah. And, and then Regardless he, of how well they do. Oh, but let's even say he goes like to the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. He's going to be a star because now if you're going to the Brooklyn Nets, it's like here's the ball and go. Okay. So what I'm saying is, so taking taking that consideration, so true. If, if this if the ZO2s don't pan out, three years in the league and and he's playing at a solid level, uh, and he's a good face for the league and he doesn't really do anything that really detriments his brand. Uh, the, the, the Under Armour, the Nike, the Adidas, they'll come back. But so what I'm saying is, is that if we're not embracing that ball mentality, and I don't mean necessarily just him specifically for the shoe. I'm talking about for the creating, for the ownership, for the drive. And we have way too many on the Barkley side. Because I don't think it's just elite who feel like him. I think that there's guys who are making a, a sneeze above minimum wage who are still trying to stay in the good graces of their management and job, who, who will sit there and look at TV because they got a promotion from 1050 to 1175 and think that they're better than the brothers that work in the mailroom. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily... I, I but you also have to remember, just as ignorant as Barkley is on the, the um, symptoms of what racism was created from, we also have to understand conversations that the Negroes... We don't even understand what ownership really looks like. Well, that's why I was going into. So if if, if the, the issue is with Barkley is that he's not talking about the totality of the problem. You can't just start with why you just can't complain that the person's bleeding on your rug and not address who hurt them to, to cause the wound to cause the bleeding. So how many of us are actually knowledgeable? Because, you know, when, when we talk about not addressing the mainstream, we talk about what's taught in schools and history about what's going on to us. It's not necessarily that just the, the other cultures aren't knowledgeable or addressing what's going on to us historically in America. How many of us don't even have that leg to stand on and saying, no, you're not representing my history. You're not acknowledging my pain because a lot of us don't know it. No, not at all. Not you at know what I'm saying? So. And that's and that's and that's why we remain to be ignorant, and that's why we remain to be divided. We remain to be divided because we don't understand our history, and we don't know how thorough um, the division was that created where we are right now. And if we knew it, if we studied it, we wouldn't have game banging. You wouldn't have um, individuals trying to keep other individuals in that crab in a bucket mentality. You wouldn't have a lot of that stuff. You would have more people trying to put things together with other people that look like them and say man we need to go do it for ourselves we don't really understand that because the narrative is exactly what the stereotype has been created for us so now we fall into that that um i would like to call it double jeopardy okay so would a conversation like barclays having nationwide actually be a good catalyst for us because i say no because of the person that is narrating the conversation unless you're going to go deep off into the symptoms it just is another dog and pony show. Well, I mean, 
So like what he's doing. So he's going out there saying, look, the issue is, is you know, the, his words, you know, well, the truth is, is black people committing a lot of crimes and black on black crimes and travesty. Uh, and, that's never going to be a good conversation. Well, no, but I, so I'm saying that's what he's going for. If, if you haven't heard the clip, that's the basic information that he's out spouting. So if the fact is, that if that's his conversation, so someone like us, so we hear it. And the first thing we're thinking is, is like, no, you're not addressing this, 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 this and this. So then we take that upon to enlighten and inform the people upon this, 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 and this. Can there be some benefits that come from this type of talk? Racist? Racism? Him. Talk, work, like what he's out there doing? No, like I said, I said it can, but it can't come from a person like him. He can't be the one that's, uh, you know, narrating this conversation because he doesn't even understand where this conversation needs to go. And to be honest with you, to very be... To be brutally honest with you, I don't even think America is ready for that conversation because I've yelled it several times. It was funny because we had – there was three specials that were supposed to come out here in Sacramento that we did a pilot for uh, that was supposed to air about the conversation about race. Okay. And I went in deep. Other people were kind of you know dancing around, but I kind of gave truth. And I had one of my young, um, stu- young mentees with me and both times. And we spoke truth to power, and they never aired it because America's not really ready to hear the, the the bulk of the atrocities that their ancestors have put on the people of color. They're not really to to talk about how Thanksgiving is a total lie. They're not really to talk about the uh, the syphilis experiments. They're not really to talk about the war on drugs. They're not talking about redlining. They're not talking about the Jim Crow laws. They're not ready to talk about the henchmen lynching. Negroes, they're not ready to talk about that. They're not ready to talk about the death and the execution of our leaders and uh, the annihilation of the Indians and the Black Panthers. They're not ready to get that deep into those okay. conversations because those conversations start first before we even go tatting and tipping on what's I, going on right now. Okay, so does that conversation start first with them or does that conversation start first with us? Because with what you We've just been uh, saying, no, 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 no. With what you just listed off. If you went to the average black person on the street and asked them about what's credit redlining, how many of them could tell you? What is what what are Jim Crow laws? How many of them could really tell you what they are? Like, do you mean is these are these conversations that we need to start having with each other before we even get to the point to where we're sitting across the table having a conversation? I mean, I definitely feel like we have to be more um, direct and more uh, educated on our own oppression because I don't think people really know it. But that's by design because. Of course, these things are being taught. Again, that's us believing and trusting in a system that's going to teach our kids the truth. Our kids walk around here not even knowing a majority of where they came from. Like you said, we've had plenty of classes with our black youth, whether it be 13, 12, 11 to 20. What you learn about black America when you uh, or, uh, or black history, I don't want to say black Americans because people will say, well, black American, their history did start with slavery. I'm just saying a black American. Black history. What have you learned? And they'll sell you slavery when that's far from the truth. It should have never been taught by that. It's a design mechanism. If you're going to teach somebody that they've been oppressed, that these kids are going to walk around feeling oppressed, feeling lower than they they should feel when you tell someone, hey, guess what? You're you were kings and you were queens. You guys had all these natural herbs and minerals as opposed and to being destined to be yeah, exactly yeah. you guys weren't walking in the jungle aimlessly uh with no underwear on <laughs> you know what i'm saying like yeah. come on man the the, sh- the shift the narrative right then and there is going to kind of 
temple the curiosity and be like, wait a minute, you telling me that all of these natural resources that we use currently right now were all started from Africa? Africa was one of the original place of mankind? Yes. So you telling me that this white Jesus that my mama got me praying for shouldn't really be white? Well, if you look at where they say he's from, you do the math. Okay, so saying something to that in effect of how much of this is so I, I get what, what, it what, can't, what yeah, if you're gonna say how much of this is our fault, this is no. uh, this is not a fraction. No. It is a it is a systematic issue and a systematic no, plan. That wasn't what I was saying. Okay. What I wasn't saying. Oh, no. If we we're, we're we're acknowledging that this is not stuff that's taught in schools. We're acknowledging that this is a conversation that the that the other pretty much bulk of society does not want to have and or may just not care about. They, like they they just they just may not care about the atrocities that have happened. So it's not even about they're not knowledgeable. They just don't care. So what where do we go in the sense of what we need to do? Because to the same thing as how Barkley's not addressing the other side, he's not playing for a team that follows that same blueprint. They ain't addressing it. He's the guy that they put up in front. He the Uncle Ben of the, of the network. He ain't addressing it. We know our children are not going to be taught that in school. We know most of us walking around as adults are not knowledgeable about these things. So where do we go? Where do we go is we need to embrace brothers like the Ball family that are doing it the right way, creating their own destiny and branding their own children because they know the evils of these giants like Nike and, um, you know, what's it called? Adidas and Under Armour. They understand. He understands that my son's worth is more than a, a price tag that they want to label. And we get some kibbles and bits and then they get to sit there and, you know, saliva over the riches that they're getting for this guy. Like we need to start embracing when black people start becoming independent. We need to embrace when LeBron James said, hey, I'm going to leave to go figure out how I can win a championship and I'm going to go back and win a championship. We don't say it's unloyal. How is it being unloyal? He's being loyal to himself because there's no loyalty in white supremacy and everything that's attached to whether it's a Nike, whether it's a Gucci, whether it's a, 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 a team that you've been cheering on for thousands a year that won't give you a free ticket no matter how many tickets you bought. White supremacy is all fall under all these precincts and you cannot sit there and uh, berate and throw eggs and tomatoes at a man or people that decide to take their, their, their life in their own hands, create ownership. We should applaud, cheer and say, guess what? I want to follow pursuit because I guarantee you this. Watch how this changes the game because there are certain things that happen that change the game. LeBron did it when he stood out there and took all the criticism, and now everybody does exactly what LeBron James does, right? Now you're going to see, watch one season, ball, ball out, the next big thing. I guarantee you Ben Simmons is probably pissed. He's like, man, Dad, I told you we should have did it. And watch how now there's going to be all these sub-companies, all these sub-companies coming out from what the Ball Brothers and their dad did. Because I, I think that that part is important. The fact that supporting the people that are out there trying to make something change, make something different about not sitting there complaining about the way that if you don't like the way something is set up or the way that it's playing itself out. And then when you have those people who are going out, Mavericks in an industry, Mavericks in, in a system where they're going out on a limb for themselves. And instead of being quick to roast them for doing something different, 
you know, supporting and engaging and encouraging. Because if you can't stand there and roast somebody for trying to go out on a ledge, but then in the same breath, roast the guy who's on the team. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going to sit there and say Ball is stupid for, for betting on himself, betting on his children, betting on his family, trying to create a legacy for, for um, an ownership of his bloodline. And then still in the same breath, turn around and say Charles Barkley's Uncle Tom, this and that, because he's playing it safe. He's part of the team and he's plugged into the Matrix. Those things don't work. So when we're out here talking about what we see in the world, if we don't like the system, we don't like what our children are taught, we don't like what we see in the streets, it's going to require those people who are willing to go against the grain, those people who are willing to bet on themselves, those people who are willing to, to put everything on the line for what they feel is most important. That's them, their family and their livelihood. And if we're going to sit there and, and say that we want something different, then instead of just being quick to roast folks, we got to say something positive about these people who are doing these things, making these changes. And uh, you have to say something. I, I just like say to say, something. I just say, I know we we coming close to the end of the time, but you got to think about it. YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, yeah, Uber, Lyft, all these new innovative things. I mean, Twitter, that Instagram now. You, you, we think like, whoa, where were we at when we didn't have these things, yeah. right? They all had to go step out. Remember when, um, you know, streaming said we're going to destroy the age of the CDs or when the CDs said, man, we're going to destroy the age of the cassettes. Like everything comes to an, and evolves and people step out. When, when I sat there and I said Uber over a cab, it took someone having the balls and being bold to say, I am going to do something out of the box and be different. And what we have to do in a society, not just by black people, is to be able to embrace being different and take a change for a challenge to be that person that say, I'm going to do it my way, no matter what someone says about it. I agree with you. It's been... I'm just being honest, man. I love that. I, I mean, I love the ownership, man. Take ownership, no, man. I, I get that, and 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 I and I agree in the sense of that that that's something that we need to when we start saying these things about what we see and what's going on is about being encouraging of those people that step out. And if you're gonna, if you you can't have issue with the philosophy of Charles Barkley and issue with the philosophy of Levar Ball at the same time. Either you with somebody who's trying to go out and get off the plantation and create and build and own. Or you're on board with the person who wants to stay plugged in and keep it in the hip pocket. One or the other. And so I think that that's important that we say something about and that these types of dialogues go on, real dialogues going on. Yeah, I'm Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axius. I mean, watch people looking at Netflix right now. What happened to Blockbuster? You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on, man. Come on, man. Where I'm just red boxing the whole bit. I what happened? It. Where can folks find you online man. to hear a grilling conversation like this? B-E-R-R-Y-A-C-C-I-U-S. Barry Axius on Facebook. Um, Twitter, Barry Axius. Instagram, at Team Voy. Black Blueprints with a Z. Go get you some Black Blueprints apparel. There you go. I'm Jermaine Morris on Facebook. Every other social media platform, it is at J Morris CEO. This has been the Say Something Podcast. Say something, say something. And until next show, we'll holler at you later. Netflix, baby.